name is Joost van Wijchen. I'm a Dutchman by uh, birth. At the same time, I'm currently living in Norway and I used to live in quite so many places in Europe and being traveled around. I'm kind of a lot involved with learning and teaching and learning has always been a major part of my life. I experienced quite a lot of learning difficulties myself. I was not the best student. I had some trouble with following the rules and always was critical about a lot of things and especially also in education and still keep on asking is what helps education and to be educated and how is learning constructed so those questions have always played an important role in my life for myself and for others i believe it's nice to collaborate with people and to build in new relations and to see what you don't see yet from where is behind the horizon, what's there, what can we focus upon and how can we move into the next bit and into uncharted territories. In this case, I have sometimes the tendency to be a little bit, uh, to search for the strangeness around me and to see if I can see things that I haven't seen before and ask myself questions or I really like it when others ask me questions. This is also the way that I can, how I conceive learning and also conceive uh, education in itself, to try to keep on asking questions with knowing that I have a limited view and I miss most of it. So I'm always happy to talk and to collaborate with others who see things that I can't see and actually who open up my mind, who open up my eyes and help me to pass kind of a threshold into a new era and a new place of seeing. This is what I'm constantly doing, currently doing. So I'm now working as the leader of the physiotherapy program at Western Norway University of Applied Sciences in Bergen uh, for the Bachelor of Physiotherapy. Beside that, I've worked for 17 years at the Han University of Applied Science in the Nijmegen, the Netherlands, also at the physiotherapy program. And before that, I was already trained as a physiotherapist in musculoskeletal care most manual therapy and sports physiotherapy, although I also work quite a lot with refugees and migrants and other cultural elements. So working with people has been a major task. What I try to do, and I hope to help with, uh, is to see how can we connect elements of how we work as a therapist, how we work as a teacher, how we be as a global citizen, how can we work more in a cultural responsive world in which we embrace variation and not from a hierarchical system but how can we help people to live within their capabilities and even expand their capabilities so that we create as much capabilities for everybody and kind of create a sense of coherence between what we have what we can what we do as honest as possible so we become more equitable this is kind of a little bit of the background that i work with uh, so that might be a little bit of knowing from who are you listening to in this podcast. Although there are several voices, mine is one of them. In this case, an important part for me during the last 17 years is to collaborate with learners. As I think that as a teacher, I'm a learner. How can we as learners work together from the different roles of student, teachers, staff, clinicians, patients, how can we work together instead of working against each other? That means also that for me, a student-led curriculum or a collaborative way in which it is more a community of practice is so logical and actually weird that we don't do it all the time. 
instead of being in a hierarchical system, we go on an equitable system in which we actually can show what we do in the same way as we do in our practice, that we have this collaborative way working with patients in an intersubjective space, so as, as Matthew Lowe described it, creating together in narrative building, as John Launer explains it. So those are actually the things that I believe we have to act also in education. So it's not only an education that we talk about, but that we show what we mean. So there's a consistency. I believe that's important, but please challenge me here if you think differently, because it's not so easy. There are several ways of working in it, but that might be helpful. A physiotherapy training program is the first step to being socialized into the physiotherapeutic community. Building the necessary competence and experience to provide good healthcare. Within such programs, scheduled pre-designed pathways for development of physiotherapeutic knowledge, skills and competencies are usually considered as safeguards for ensuring that all students become competent physiotherapists. The mandate and the role of the physiotherapy profession is the key basis for this training. However, like all healthcare professionals, physiotherapists need to work within changing and uncertain context and to take responsibility in unfamiliar situations. We have found that many newly educated physiotherapists do not feel competent although they have the diploma in their hand. The gap between their education and clinical practice becomes too big. During informal meetings with students, we found that a subject of confidence of often arose. Students were telling us that although they had passed their exams, they did not feel competent in their physiotherapeutic tasks, especially in unfamiliar contexts. This happened despite well-planned courses, training sessions and practice periods within the physiotherapy program. So we started to discuss how we could improve our support for upcoming physiotherapists. And we started to discuss how we saw the process of becoming a physiotherapist, what this means and how we could better support it. To understand what it means to become a professional, we can turn to Gloria Di Alba. She wrote, we are continually in a process of becoming. More specifically, we are already oriented to what we are not yet. Becoming can in this way be understood as moving beyond the simple acquisition of knowledge and skills. It's about being able to act in dynamic context and accept the ambiguities involved. This involves a developmental within the student, a process leading to a broader understanding of what it means to be a physiotherapist. As me being a Dutchman and being raised partly into the Dutch healthcare system, we can say that a change within the Dutch healthcare system had a large influence on us during this time. The Dutch healthcare system, policy and education of healthcare professionals was in a transition during the 2015, fueled by a different way of seeing health. A description of health by Huber played a central role. She described health as the ability to adapt and to self-manage in the face of social, physical and emotional challenges. Huber provided the key for us by mentioning the ability to adapt and to self-manage. Physiotherapists play a role in supporting people to do this, and to manage this, they also need to be able to adapt and self-manage themselves. This is fundamental to the process of becoming, and facilitating it was an educational challenge, and is an educational challenge. But we needed something extra, we needed a concept to express our thoughts, and we found this in the concept of mindlines, as it was described by John Gabay and André Lemay in 2011. John and Andre 
express the importance of ongoing collaboration during our developmental process, and that socialization is an inherent aspect of MindLines development. MindLines as a way of knowledge in practice and contest context which constantly change and are adaptable and then which is an ongoing process in itself. But going back to the mindlines development as a part of socialization, we can see as such becoming a physiotherapist involves the construction of mindlines alongside others as part of the process of socialization. This way of thinking led to a change in our understanding of teaching and learning and for our roles as educators. So we started to reflect around our own mindlines concerning teaching and the various roles we could play to support the process of becoming. We discussed the power balance between students and teachers and we saw an analogy between the patient's physiotherapist and the student-teacher relationship. We saw the socialization within the education as directly relevant for the interaction physiotherapists build with their clients in clinical practice. For us, this is important because it directly points a responsibility for us as teachers beyond the transfer of knowledge and physiotherapeutic methods. We should therefore support our students to construct their own mindlines based upon the principle of creating an equitable relationship and the use of the strength and experience they have in the process of becoming. And here, this starts actually a quite an important part, and that was how do we reflect our own mind lines concerning teaching and learning, or actually maybe more clear, how do we conceptualize learning and how do we conceptualize knowledge? What does it mean for us? And also in regard to becoming or being a physiotherapist. Maybe that is a nice way to stop and pause for a second and to think of your own way of conceptually learning. What does learning mean for you? We're sitting here together with uh, five colleagues uh, from three different universities. Han University of Applied Science in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, Absalom University of Applied Science in Denmark, and uh, Western Norway University of Applied Science in Norway. So welcome to Peter, Kenneth, Henk and Wim, and myself, Joost. So the question is about student-led collaborative curriculum design. What are your thoughts actually about this one? Have any. We do have many thoughts. One, one perspective on this is the teacher perspective, obviously. The student's perspective is important. But as a teacher, you need to go in it full frontal, uh, take the risk of, of letting go. And that's very um, uh, challenging for many teachers. My, many of my colleagues, they have uh, quite a big resistance on this issue. Uh, they are afraid to... to um, not having the full responsibility in terms of learning goals and, and uh, making sure the students they get where we want them to go. But if they can't go there, it's no use of us wanting them to go there if, we, if they can't go there. A, a curriculum is only a way. It's only a way from uh, a novice or somebody who starts learning to somebody who can go mm -hmm. and you can send him safety into the field and do his physiotherapy thing. So, a curriculum is only a, a way, so if a student knows the start, where he is at the start, and he knows where he should be at the end, um, that should be clear, and then there are lots of possibilities to go there. So, uh, then it would be almost obvious that a student should, should lead this curriculum, should be uh, 
well, help be helping designing it. And, and you are helping people to make them dependent on a curriculum and the, the, the future in, in what kind of profession uh, you choose. If you can't, the, the curriculum won't help anymore. So we have to make them, and we have to learn them to make choices. We have to learn them to, to see other, other options, to, to work with it and to, to try mm -hmm. what's the best way I can learn. I agree with that, but are you sure that all students have the foundations, the basis, the insight to be able to do it in the Danish system? It, it's very challenging because the culture in high school is that uh, they are learned by a very strict curriculum and when they change from that position to our position, often within a year because they don't take a year off, we are having people that are so used to do it this way mm -hmm. that I, I'm, I'm really much in doubt if they can manage this transition from being a pupil to being a student. That's a very big step. And not only a student, but being a novice physiotherapist exactly. in, our, in our case. So exactly. they, 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 they're allowed to skip the student part. Yes, but can they? It's, that's the question. Yeah. But I yeah. think that's what they should learn. It, it's the profession also is, is what they're doing. And, and put... Uh, what is it they should learn in that curriculum then? And is that what we are putting in our curriculum? Exactly. Making choices. Exactly. Because, because is it only about uh, getting and retaining knowledge and, and capabilities? Mm -hmm. Or is it also other things that they have to learn and that they learn to own the curriculum? Exactly. They have to learn to learn. To learn to learn. Yes. And to learn to design their own way of learning. Uh, that's probably the highest level of owning your mm -hmm. own learning process. Yes. And what we expect from them when they are ready and get their diploma. We are expecting from them that they, they can they can do that with patience, in our case. It's kind of interesting because the thing that we now talked about so far, it's first of all, it's kind of the, the civil perspective. I think that in the beginning, as Hank was also pointing out, we have... Uh, a beginning, a starting point, and we have out learning outcomes. We have an intended minimum outcome that's, that's the standard in which you have to uh, be capable of practicing as a novice physiotherapist. And that's the road of transformation you have to go in. Then is the part that you all, that, that Peter was saying, that means for teachers, they, they see the standard and they don't want to take risks, so they want to control it. And the other part, we're also saying, three of you, what we're saying now here, there's a transformation from a pupil, from an individual who is there into the world to become a, a professional who's autonomous or daring to stand in his own right. But having that right, it means also that you have to own your curriculum because if you don't own your own learning process, how can you build? Is that correct? That's right there, yeah. That's a fair outlay, yeah. So and how, how is that from a Norway of UK perspective? How do you look upon it, Kenneth? I think there are lots of um, structural constraints stopping us being flexible. But there are ways to, in my experience, to try and trick those systems. <laughs> so, but you have to, you, you have a national guideline for what the competencies are at the end of three or four years. And mostly they are learning outcomes that, well, that can be at different levels. Some are very vague, others are very specific. Um, but when you break them down, you can, 
in my experience, you can challenge the students to fill in their own blanks. So what is it that you don't know that you need to, to find out? Here's a case. What tools do you need to solve this case? You have some tools already and all students have different tools, experiences, knowledge, uh, even if they come straight from high school mm -hmm. or secondary education. And then by doing that, do you make their individual learning more appropriate for them? And also it gives the opportunity to other students to share their existing knowledge, which is the best way to learn themselves and develop their own learning. And, and another aspect is perhaps the, the, the curricular changes that happen anyway as a reflection of increased knowledge and societal changes over time. And often we as academics can be guilty of holding back mm -hmm. the changes that are really required because we just cruise along on what we're always done. And having those critical voices of students to challenge us, I think is critical to make it more relevant to today and the future, or not just the past. And to encourage the students to interfere and be active. Yeah. Uh, in Denmark, we started in the seventh semester on the last bachelor project term to focus on, well, what they know and what they can bring into practice and, and make available for the benefit of students and the profession, but also very much emphasis on being able to, in a constructive way, to let us, uh, the, the examinator and the sensor, know what you don't know. And how do you manage to find out this I know, this I don't know, this I need to be aware of, sort of to reflect over your own learning over the past three and a half years. And that we sort of try to tell them that it's not a failure to tell them what you what you don't know. It's a strength to be able to. But that's very demanding for a student. They're not going to say, I'm, I don't know a shit about this. It's not that way. But I'm aware I have a, a knowledge gap here that I need to look into. And that's very constructive for the students. And, of course, we try to do that from semester one. But that's really demanding clinical reason on semester one. And how easy is it for him then to ask him, okay, if you know that that's a knowledge gap, how are you, how are you going to fill it in? Me as a teacher yeah. or the student? The student. The student. Himself, uh, just by acknowledging it, you're, you're one step towards the goal. Uh, and we like to hear that at the bachelor exam. And if, if, if you do it like that, you get this feeling of necessity. You know, you, you have to. Urgency, yes. You, you get this urgency. Yes. I need to solve this because otherwise I'm... Uh, you'll, you'll be up shit creek if you don't do it. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. if you do that, you, you almost force students to find this path. Yes. But the very really. tricky part that you've all been into and you candidates is that this curriculum has to be adaptable to changes, to, to influences. Um, and that makes it tricky to handle also for us. We've just been rewriting it for the... 30th time, <laughs> and it's, it's really frustrating, but we need to. But in here, I hear several things, which just to point out to, because you started at the beginning in risk. There's something in us teachers that maybe without noticing, or just my perspective, it can be quite paternalistic, that we know, and the students don't know, so we're going to tell them. Well, actually, that's, so it's a risk when you put the student more in in the lead or in the steering wheel, so you're losing a little bit of control, but at the same time you say, we don't have this answer, so probably we have to figure out what is the future, we have to be collaborative. Is this, how do we look, how do you look upon, because we look about teacher-student, is that a hierarchical, is that a power relation, is that an 
is it continuously a power relation or is that more equal? Is there something with shared decision making like we have in physiotherapy practice? Well, can you have that when you're on an uneven level? There's a power relationship you can't avoid and the students need it. They need to be guided. We can't, we can't sort of disregard it. No, we can also look at it from the perspective of um, uncertainty. We don't know um, if what we tell them is true. <laughs> don't it's, tell it's, them that. We have our own biases. Well, I'd like to tell them that. And there is a quote from some medic saying to the medical students on the first day of their medical degree, what we're going to teach you over the next five years is so that 50% of it is, uh, is not true. And 50% of it is true. Unfortunately, we can't tell you which 50%. And it's the same, so there's so much that we don't know. And um, in, uh, if I think back to my undergraduate education, uh, university in the, in the UK, and then what I subsequently did in practice, that is now specifically said, don't do this, traction beds, for instance, interferential ultrasound, all those sort of things. Um, perhaps if we'd been invited to be more critical at the time, those changes would have happened quicker? I don't know. But, you know, just examples of how change is necessary and critical voices, um, independent of power relationships. Uh, I, I would, mm. you know, somebody without our baggage, preconceived ideas, might ask a really pertinent questions that makes us think about, mm, why do I do that? Why do I say that? Why do I think that is And can we change that by making our students that critical? I love students asking me critical questions to, to, to make me think about why, why, why are we doing this? So, um, yeah, I'd love them to disagree with me. So that means actually that in that risk of not knowing, there's also something of risk of not knowing from the teaching. But at the same time, we have this power difference. There's a power relationship. But by helping students to at least ask critical questions, so we value the critical question, which we got, we got also more exposed from, to not knowing, who actually the field that we can come to know by mutual understanding. Will that be helpful? Yeah, that's that's in the direction, but we have an example from clinical practice where we go out in the clinical practice together with the students and the clinical supervisor. We have a case and we discuss it openly. And the evaluation on behalf of the students was that when they found out that the clinical supervisor and the teacher, they can disagree and even really get into it, they're scared. And then, of course, the purpose of this confrontation is to show them there's different ways to achieve the means and they should not be scared, but they are scared because they look at us as authorities and if we disagree, which they see, they can't see the depth of it. It's really challenging to go into that situation and that, that's, again, they need this uh, reassurance. On one side, there is this need for structure and need to know that it's black and white and it's good or bad or it's right or wrong. Um, but I do think that if we try to get our students from day one and teach them that nothing is certain in our occupation, uh, but some things we know are a little bit more certain than other things, and that's the game we play. Uh, with all the knowledge we have, we are always looking for these things we see and do, uh, which are less or more certain. And this evaluation, that's, that's, I think, is our mm -hmm. occupation. Uh, and if we can get this uh, with students, 
At one time, a, a, a student said to me, uh, what I've learned in this, during my four years, is what, how to play with uncertainty. That's a good wording. That's a good phrase. But it seems yeah. that critical thinking and uncertainty seems to be kind of key concepts in in working from a from a collaborative curriculum design. Is this this kind of exploring mm -hmm. the uncertainty together and having also uncertainty as a basic premises, not certainty. What a lot of time I believe teaching or education can be curriculum can be based on certainty, but actually what you now say is it is dealing with this uncertainty as a basic premise in a curriculum design, and then it's kind of explore this together with future colleagues. Or am I stepping out too fast? No, maybe a good analogy is um, mountain climbing. You have this mountain and plodders, you're trying to climb up it, and you have a harness that sort of secures you. Um, Maybe the rope is attached to a buddy who stays at the bottom so that if you fall, he breaks your fall. But you still have to explore how you're going to climb further up. How do you put that next bolt of knowledge into it? Sorry, this analogy is getting a bit weird. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, no, it, it works. But, but, but do you want students to get, find their, his own way up the mountain? Well, there's more than one way, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you, this yeah. buddy below that has this rope that can save you if you fall, Actually, that's a good analogy because our students are the one who really thought about it said, okay, we can accept this, that you can't tell us exactly what's right here, but please tell us what is definitely wrong, what should I be yeah, yeah, really well, sure yeah, of not yeah. doing, also the, the contraindications for a different treatment. As long as I know that, I feel free to explore above it. And the, this knowledge is the rope to the one below. Uh, don't do this because this will kill the patient, but otherwise you have free hands to, to get on with it. They, they, mm. they ask for that, and that's possible to give them in a certain extent. The problem is that, the, for example, the national clinical guidelines that we have, all countries have them, They've been questioned now because even those really clever, they they all of them, do. yeah, and they say you you can't really make them because there's, there's no truth in this. There's no. And how many of our students know them? Exactly, exactly. So that, that's also an open point. Yes, I think this is really great conversation. But now I have one question for you guys. Here is one more thing. We have listeners here. What kind of question challenge would you ask fellow teachers who are listening here at least with every curriculum change uh, ask some students for their opinion that would be the very very least don't do it all by yourself though. so bring students with you bring students with you always. that's a good point mm -hmm. so maybe that's but that's not a question yeah. oh that's oh. A, that's a challenge <laughs> that could be a challenge <laughs> definitely there are always internal challenges to, to change. Uh, change is painful. There's always resistance to change. So choose your battles and don't try and change things that can't be changed, like internal structures, um, but find ways of working around them. Yeah, but it's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but you can develop it. Mm -hmm. And I think a question could be, if you do something, change something, how will you evaluate it? Yeah, and, basic. I think, and I would say at least ask yourself why. Why did we build this curriculum this way and is it serving all of our students? Mm -hmm. yeah, the the yeah. why question I think very important to, to 
to use very often. So do why we are we doing it? Why doing it? What are we developing? And who are we involving? That's also what I hear. So are we involved whatever you create also with this design and further development? Who mm -hmm. are you talking with and who are you leaving out and mm -hmm. why? Yeah, is, is it my curriculum or is it really there? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sitting here with Christina, Isabel or Arnie, three future physiotherapists three becoming physiotherapists or future colleagues of mine at here at Western University of Applied Sciences. And we will talk a little bit about the ideas concerning student-led collaborative curriculum design. Now that's my first question. When we just go in this area, so we have for example in Norway we have three years of education and the idea is at the end of this education you feel confident as a novice physiotherapist in your curriculum. How do you see that journey evoking what did you experience so far i think there's a lot happening when you're out in practice because there you are standing on your own and you're using what you've learned so far but before that i could not see myself in that position at all and i think that may be because i didn't test myself enough on the way we had exams but that was a rare occasion and a lot of the learning was passive on my part and therefore I didn't see how much I learned before I was in practice. It's interesting. Hmm. I think uh, the first year especially is very like focused on theory. Uh, we have a lot of anatomy and a lot of physiology uh, and you're so focused to get a good grade at the exam so you kind of forget that you have to use this in a patient situation later on. Uh, so it's hard to connect theory to the real like life. And then uh, after the first year, this like switches a little bit. So the focus changes and especially in practice, uh, you get to take like the theory and everything you've learned and put it into practice. and. Uh, you see that uh, it's really useful. I agree with both of you. Um, I think about it as a problem uh, because uh, I agree that when we're in practice, it's uh, it's easier to see ourselves more like physiotherapists. But uh, now it's only one year left on this education, and I feel like yeah, I've I've just started thinking as myself as a physiotherapist, and I've only got one year left with school. And I think it's a huge way to feel that I can be safe uh, with that thought that I'm a physiotherapist that can do what I can. I think there's something wrong. In school, uh, I can come to school and be passive, just stay there and go with the flow. I just I don't need to do anything uh, unless I need to be on my exam. But I can come to class. I don't need to talk. I don't need to read. I can just stay there. It's so comfortable. And for us, it can uh, have a connection that we started in Corona and we started uh, on the computer. So for me, that I could just sit there in my room, home, without my camera on and just listen, feel scared about this is much anatomy and I don't get it. And I just see a teacher on the screen and I feel like a huge distance from my teacher because 
I've just seen her on the screen and she's just going through a lot of stuff that I don't know anything about and I don't and I haven't haven't asked those questions that I'm wondering about because I'm maybe everyone else can do it, no one is saying anything. For me I need maybe a smaller distance uh, to my teacher. I think that's important for me. Having conversation. If I just try to summarize it in between a little bit what you just said, the three of you. So first of all, this is this connection from theory to practice. So yeah. at the beginning what happened is a lot of theory, what comes over you, it's hard to connect with, if I understand. Mm. So you distinct yourself a little bit. You work on the theory in itself without making the connection and only in practice you feel. So you have to test yourself yeah. and test. And if I understand correctly, because that's what I want to go a little bit deeper, what does this testing mean? That's one bit. Then we have the theory practice. So Theory is one bit, it's nobody, I see the three of you, nobody denies the importance of theory, but it's at the same time, it's the transformation of having this theory into practice, not in itself. And the last bit is also what you say, Isabel, that you, that we start here, uh, it's, it's kind of a way upwards. And, uh, okay, you can be passive, but there's some kind of transition in yourself as being a student towards being this novice physiotherapist in the moment that this seems like when the question is asked, how do you feel yourself? This almost hits you in your yeah. face and you think, oh my God, one more year and then I have to be on my own. <laughs> and then it changes your perspective, what you need from learning, isn't yes. it? Uh, I think at the beginning, you're so focused on the exams and the grades that you work towards the exams and you see all their earlier exams and you think this is what I need to get a good grade. And you don't make the connection to this is something I need to learn for my future patients. In the beginning, you feel like three years is a very long time. So you don't see uh, to the end. You just see at this semester end. And then you take one semester at a time. And then suddenly you're very close to the end. And then it hits you. And a lot of fellow students have talked about being very scared for the next year because then you're going to be out there and working and the thought about only one year left with learning. It seems like a big gap and that there's a lot of uh, information and a lot of skills that we are missing. But then when you look at the timeline, there's only less than a third we're missing. And that's when you realize that, okay, I am supposed to be at a certain level. I don't know if I'm really there. So you kind of, what you say now, you you don't have the reference for yourself. Yes. So it's it's one thing to have this uh, validation outside that the teacher tells you, yes, you're good. But important that the field in yourself, that you validate yourself. Yes. There's some, I talked with another student who said that she felt like she, uh, she felt uh, kind of like a fraud, that she had come this far, but she couldn't understand how that she was very lucky to have gotten through her exams because she didn't feel like she knew anything. But she had good grades on paper, but she don't trust herself with it. I think that's the situation for a lot of people. I remember my first year because I'm a person who finds comfort in having knowledge, uh, having uh, the knowledge about the theory behind everything I do. Uh, and that's something you get from your education. Uh, for example, you know the anatomy. Uh, but then uh, I, when we were in the second practice, 
I suddenly realized, okay, I have the theory about communication. I have theory about anatomy. And I know in theory how I'm supposed to solve this situation. But then I don't feel like we had actually practiced it enough. So then suddenly I had to communicate, have a conversation. It was really scary, but I learned a lot from it. And of course, you need to have that knowledge and that theory to be confident in yourself. But also, I feel like we're missing out. Um, we should have practiced it more. We should have communicated with patients before. We should have palpated the bones and just discussed things. And I feel like there's a lot of theory thrown in our faces. And then we're not able to, as you said, connect it into practice. I also feel that we never feel like that we don't, uh, we're not exposed to feel insecure. I think that's a problem because yeah, I read what I need to read and I feel like okay, I got a theory, but I I don't get a chance to try it out and fail because when I need to try it out, it's on my exam and then I've written a lot <laughs> day in and day out. Yeah, you get a grade, but you haven't. There, it's a, such a pressed situation. And it's not a normal situation that if you're working as a physiotherapist, it's your daily life and I think that all the patients you meet, they're so different from each other. And we learned one thing in the book, that's the right answer. But it isn't one answer out there when we're working. I feel like you need to do small changes uh, in the way that you meet patients and in the way that you treat them because they're all different. And I don't, I, I don't feel that we're learning that in school. Uh, we just hear about it that. Oh, everyone is different, but we don't learn how to use our knowledge. We don't learn how to use it on different patients and actually try to do it. Because I think that's a huge difference about hearing about it and actually try it out and feel insecure and just stand there and feel like, oh, I didn't get this at all. But it's an uh, experience that we need to experience. <laughs> As uh, Isabel mentioned, with like feeling insecure and being on comfortable I think that's really important because there's so much learning in those situations uh, and in failing too if you fail you'll remember it for a long time <laughs> uh, and it's really uncomfortable and your brain will remember it in school I feel like you can go months at a time without having to check in with yourself what you actually know and what you've learned and you have uh, the exams as we've talked about but also some mandatory tasks but they're so restricted and you know okay this friday we're going to talk about this case and then you prepare yourself and then you just stand there and do what you have rehearsed but you're not out of your comfort zone but if you have um, if we take the uncomfortable into the everyday learning it would be much easier to trust yourself with uh, what you know because mm. if we are going to talk about a case and I know I've used Monday to Wednesday to learn about it and I'm going to talk about it on Thursday it's not a difficult task but if and I come to school on Monday and they tell me to talk about something that would be an uncomfortable task, and that is a lot more similar to what you need in yeah. real life. Because in real life, it's very spontaneous. You have to think quick and uh, adapt 
past, suddenly the situation changes and you have to just flow with that. And we don't get that if we have rehearsed something um, and we like make a list and we go through it and it's not challenging. You have you don't have to be spontaneous like you have to be in practice. Uh, so that's something uh, the teachers should pressures more to do, to be spontaneous and to take things on Stockholm or to think Stockholm. Yeah. Yeah, on a structure. So you have to take it in the here and now. Yeah. yeah. And some and like Isabel talked about, the different cases and the more complex cases you meet in real life. It's uh, a lot of the cases we rehearse with in school is very typical, kind of easy. This is a patient with a broken ankle or this is a patient with frozen shoulder and then you go after a recipe because you know that much about that diagnose but if we take in a lot more complex um, cases to rehearse with in school you would have to uh, think more on your own because there maybe is not an answer to it at all i think that's an important thing to get the students to get that it isn't quite an answer uh, yesterday at school we had a discussion in class um, when this uh, student uh, really wanted an answer from the teacher like what do we have to say in our exam to get the right answer and the teacher didn't want it to answer because he was more like yeah it's right but it, it can also be wrong maybe some more and uh, just unclear uh, answers and the uh, student get real, really upset about it because we need a right answer uh, and then I sat there a bit, just thinking on my own, like, I felt that she was answering the teacher. But I think we, our, our students, we are more, we uh, expect that there is one answer. Uh, and I think we need to get this vision about that there isn't always a right answer. One thing can be right, and one thing can be wrong, but it can also be right. I think uh, for us now, it's, it's in my third year, it's a bit late. And I think that's maybe one thing that the teachers can start with to present for the students that uh, there isn't just one answer and yeah, set the expectations. Yeah, really. because in our exams, they're focusing on what's right and what's wrong. I think that's a bit of the problem that and that makes us just yeah look at the right and wrong answers and get yeah, comfortable in that. There's yeah. not the right answer yeah. either. And that can be difficult to accept when you have done the... When you follow the recipe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's like when the students are starting at school in the first year, I think that's a place where you can do a lot because if you start there to present that there isn't just one answer and that uh, the students have to go into themselves and check in on themselves like... What do I know now? What do I need to know more about? To make them feel like, to give them more uh, responsibility for their own learning. Mm. I think that's an important thing because we have the opportunity now uh, in Norway to just go to flow. Uh, and I think that's because I wasn't present that uh, I it, it could be smart for me to check in on myself and to do a like, when I feel insecure, I go out of the situation. But... If someone had told me that, maybe you, well, what happened if you stay in it? I think I learned more then, but I've just been in the unsecure situation in my exams because that's the only situation that I have been forced to do. 
if I just try to summarize again, because so many things that you talk about. So, first of all, it is about discomfort. And actually, what you ask, you feel now, experience from, oh, the real life is, is kind of the uncomfort, which you hope to be comfortable in. So, yes, that's yes. actually your wish from yourself, what I hear of all of you, is to be comfortable in the unfamiliar situations. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you don't experience it much at school. So, you kind of want to make it to the beginning. So, instead of asking yes. teachers to make it comfortable, you actually uh, um, invite teachers to make it make it uncomfortable, but yes. not in an uncomfortable manner. It's not like unpleasant, but at least challenge. So that's not like failing in a right and wrong answer, because that's the other part. Uh, you start talking about what is knowledge, and if I understand you correctly, you step away from this dualistic notion of knowledge as it's either right or wrong, but you put it into context. So, and you want this context variation, this more relativism about, cont- about knowledge into the first year. So that's more about the argumentation, the application of theory and knowledge into practice than just theory and practice skill changed yeah. from each other, separated. Mm. Correctly? Yeah. The other part that you also talked about is the, 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 the added value in a way from tests. Because it's, it's, you've been pushed into the unsecure and the unfamiliar. Mm. But at the same time, you would wish more tests. Would you have, if you would, would it be helpful if you are um, involved in thinking what kind of test would be helpful? So it's not the test that's being pushed upon you, but you would be, if you were able to talk with us, with teachers concerning tests or curriculum. Yeah. What would you do with, what kind of test would you, how often or... What would be important for this? Everyone in the third year now see the value with simulation where you get very difficult patients and you pretend uh, to try and solve that. And especially if there's a very difficult case, you can bring out more of your own knowledge when you're talking about it. But I don't know if in the first or second year I would be able to appreciate that kind of testing. Because but my, it yeah. would be interesting to try one time the first year because then you realize okay there's more to it. I yeah. have to communicate. There's it's such a complex situation, uh, and then you realize okay I need this. So to being exposed to it will probably help us to make the future. So you don't have to make do it completely right, but at least you will be exposed. Yes. And. If I understand you now correctly, that you say the moment you do it, you will probably um, gain some learning goals. You yes. think, oh, I want to improve here or here or here. I have to improve or here I feel secure. And this is the area that is a little bit fluidly. So that's a little bit scary. Mm. And if you, it may be some of the teachers, one teacher pretends to be a difficult patient and the other is a physical therapist. And if they simulate a case and uh, the students listen, how they communicate, what they talk about, what they ask about, it would be easier to set goals. Okay, this is where I'm going in this direction because a lot of the students have never been to a physical therapist themselves. Yeah. And in the first year, there's before you go into practice, there's uh, maybe a lot of information missing about how this job actually works and how it can look. If you then get exposed to it, it would be easier to, and maybe it's easier to connect the theory with the practice earlier on. So it's the exposure to be in there, to see the process, because that's also what I hear now from you. It's not like a 
one time. Is, am I correct? It's yeah. more that as if uh, it is uh, it is a developmental process. You have to you go in, you you test yourself as a kind of a self reflection into yes. it, a self assessment, peer or teacher assessment, and then you get this feedback, and this feedback loops will help you to move on. But that has to be a kind of a habit. Yeah, but in the first year, I think I don't think I would want to set, put myself in an uncomfortable situation because everything is so uncomfortable already and everything is very new. But now I would love to be in these situations and I happily ask the teachers to set it up. So I feel like I would have learned a lot from it the first year, but I would not have asked to do it. So it, it might be more forced the first year. And then you see the value of it, and then it's more like plan. This is interesting. So what you now say is that probably as a first year student, you love to have it comfortable. Yes. Yeah. Because it's and at the same time, uh, looking backwards now, you think I don't. That was the dumbest idea to want to have yeah. it comfortable. Yeah. Is it correctly. Yeah. So that yeah. this, this kind of two, this, there's a kind of ambiguity here. Yeah. But if I understand you correctly. It's kind of a tip towards teachers to make the uncomfortable of being exposed comfortable in the first year. So that's one of the most important parts for teachers, the, uh, to make it comfortable to expose yourself, yeah. exposure to things and to put give input. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of time that we talk about teachers, students as separate entities. But you mentioned also learning, learning, the word learning came across. What does learning mean for you? To be able to recall later on what's been taught i don't know yeah <laughs> to yeah that it, the information kind of sticks to your yeah. brain okay. yeah. yeah i agree and i also feel like uh learning is when i feel that i know anything and then we get back to the physiotherapist education that i feel like a bit of the problem is that i don't feel that i get what i need to uh, know when i'm done yeah and also i've been thinking about this because that's kind of a different theme but how the teachers spend their time, what they are using their time for in the classroom. Uh, because I feel like there's uh, a lot of presenting basic fundamental knowledge and theory that we could have prepared for before we got there. It's so basic, it's in the textbooks. There's a lot of resources to read and to get this information by yourself and then um, the teachers tell us to prepare for the classes and then they don't tell us what to prepare for and then maybe you prepare and then you get there and the teacher is just going over the basics and maybe you already know the basics and you have questions about things you had discovered are more complicated or yeah complex and then but the time is not set for questions and it's just like they're going over the basics when you actually could have read about it yourself yeah beforehand but then you end up not reading about it because they don't ask uh, for example in uh, physiology the first year uh, our teacher was very good at asking specific questions beforehand so we had to prepare we had to read and try to figure out uh, the what to answer. And then when we get to the class, we have the information that we prepared. And then we maybe were able to take it a step further and ask questions about it. And we already have an understanding. 
I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it was a good learning environment if you had done the preparations. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I wish, uh, especially this year, that we had more, that it was clear to us as students what to read about and where to read it before entering the class. And that the teachers could, of course, they have to go over the basics too, but uh, that there was more time to kind of discuss and ask the complex yeah. and hard yeah. questions. Yeah. I think that's very important because the complex and hard questions, uh, we don't find the answer in the book by ourselves. Mm. That's what we need. So, that's, so this is also something interesting what you said. Your, your conception of knowledge is not like a factual thing. Mm. Knowledge is something what you can uh, apply, which you can connect. And what you now say is that you from the teachers, it's not that you ask them to present factual information, but actually that they challenge you to connect dots together. So yeah, and maybe give us their experience. Yeah. Because uh, that's something we lack, especially in the first years. We don't have any experience, but to like hear stories from them, because they put it into practice before. I feel like on the exams too. I didn't think very much. I didn't use my own head very much. I used the recipes I had uh, learned, and I applied that in the exam room and it was not until the second year uh, practice that I felt like I actually recalled and got out all the things I had learned up until that point and that's when professional identity started to form because up until that point I felt like I just recalled what the teacher had said but then in real patient situations I actually had to think to myself and that's when I got more confident in myself as a future physiotherapist. There's this confidence. If we just now kind of we can talk for hours more, but now <laughs> we're going to, to round it up. What kind of question or challenge would you give to teachers who are listening now here? I think maybe sit down and think about what you are learning. Students, do you think that they feel sure enough when you're done? Are you sure about that? If not, what can be changed? Maybe for the teachers to think about, okay, what do I need to teach them and what are they able to find themselves uh, in textbooks and in other resources. Um, and also, as we talked about, making the uh, students a kind of uncomfortable without it being unpleasant, pointing people out, maybe making the students more engaged in learning. I think I would challenge the teachers to challenge their students from day one so that they can gain that professional identity and confidence earlier on. So it's, it's more of a process than a shifting point. Then I want to thank you very much. Uh, we will continue this conversation another time. Please take some time to reflect for everybody who's listening here. To understand how students can build their mind lines, we conceptualized what it means to be a physiotherapist by taking a step back and looking at our educational program with the eyes of a stranger. By doing that, we were free to ask critical questions to evaluate the meaning of what we saw and to re-examine our own roles. It was kind of the study like Curzon Hobbes did in 2017. By managing to leave behind our own expectations, we found it become easier to reflect open-mindedly on our practices and we could even move onwards to, for us, uncharted areas. In this way, 
we avoided the new way of thinking just becoming something troublesome, as often is the case when one explores new ways of thinking. Still, we got confronted with our own selves as we challenged our beliefs and convictions about teaching. At some point, we felt that we lost part of our identity as teachers because so much of our identity was linked to the specific knowledge we have. We were teachers in rehabilitation, in neurology, in physiology, in anatomy, in communication. And now we realize that these subjects were not the key factors within education. They were more assets in the process of becoming a physiotherapist. We therefore experienced quite some resistance in ourselves when realizing that our specific knowledge took second place. Of course, we are not saying that just anyone could teach the physiotherapy program. Our competence and experience was certainly needed, but we had to reduce the focus on these. On the other hand, we were free to ask questions about the meaning of the content, tasks, assignments and evaluations within our own education. We were free to look a bit more broadly at our identity. It became inspiring and safe to ask questions and to go into discussions that we may have feared previously especially around the role of content and the role of us teachers. We found that seeing through this lens promoted real discussions about why we were doing what we did and we experienced ourselves becoming a team within a common responsibility of creating space for socialization into the physiotherapy profession. When you now look at your own profession and at your own practice as physiotherapist, what is your role as teacher? And what is the role of the students? And what is the role of education? And what is the purpose of the course that you're going in? And what role play content concerning to competence and capability and self-confidence of students or your future colleagues? Do you have an idea about that? In our physiotherapeutic practice, we know that each patient is unique. Although the intended outcomes for the patients can be similar, for example in rehabilitation, the methods and strategies to reach the desired outcome will vary depending on the individual and the context. Despite this, within our physiotherapy program, we had been focusing on standardization and control as ways of ensuring that all students would have the necessary competences when going into practice. So, students lacked the responsiveness to practice in unfamiliar settings, and they told us that the structured certainty from the education could feel like a hoax when they met variation, complexity and certainty in their encounters with patients. Gloria Dalba expressed it like this, we have to promote learning by all of them, and not only those who learn despite our teaching. We realized that doing the best for our students demanded incorporation of contextual variation and unfamiliarity in such a way that the students would feel comfortable in uncertainty and happy to engage complexity later in their clinical practice. We realized that we needed learning pathways that could embrace variations from the start, not just when the students ended their education. This is not in conflict with established learning outcomes or descriptions of the physiotherapy profession. We rather believe it better covers the range of the therapeutic competence needed to meet the variations within our societies. We became more observant of the landscape of the outcomes we aimed for, and that several methods and paths would be beneficial for reaching more of the outcomes in this landscape. We neither searched for nor wanted an educational path where all students would become similar. This also better appreciates the variation between upcoming physiotherapists that we knew exist, and it reminded us to build on this difference as a resource. In addition, it allowed us to think differently about the support students needed in the process of becoming. Some more intensively than others, some more often. 
The paths to learn self-manage are different within the group of learners. It's often considered unfair if some students get more supervision than others. But we argue that this, it is a necessary personalization of education. Of course, we need to ensure that all get the support that is needed. Some might not ask for the support they should have, but we hope this does not stop a more individualized understanding of education and learning to become. It's an interesting question whether students who have experienced this kind of personalized education also will be better on providing personalized health support later in their practice. We designed a study to investigate how undergraduate students of physiotherapy perceive their development of self-efficacy and physiotherapeutic competences. We found a shift in perception and motivation around becoming a physiotherapist during the education. This became visible during internships in the third year. In this process, a transition from being a student of physiotherapy into a becoming physiotherapist became clear. In seeing themselves as students of physiotherapy, they had their focus on assessments and learning was described as an external obligation they had to consume. In contrast, when they looked at themselves as a becoming physiotherapist, they showed an internal engagement with an eagerness to keep learning and develop to offer service for future clients. Their focus shifted from obligations and assessments to eagerness and professional responsibility. We realized that motivating and motivation and effort is to a large extent based on a sense of ownership of the process of becoming, a freedom to choose how to reach the necessary competence levels. The connection between choice, ownership and togetherness provide important process elements of becoming. We therefore focus on some key points in the design of a new educational landscape. Here the students would have roles as becoming physiotherapists right from the beginning. In the process we saw the need for looking beyond competences and toward capabilities. Competences are often connected to high levels of agreement and certainty, leading to descriptions of outcomes in an explicit way where contextual variations are lost or not even considered. Capabilities are connected to lower levels of agreement and certainty about contextual variations being concerned with acting in familiar and unfamiliar complex and uncertain situations. Developing an educational landscape mainly connected to certainty and agreement would fit poorly with the purpose of building capability to work within the field of physiotherapy that is so dependent on context and has to do so much with unfamiliarity. To acknowledge the contextual and dynamic nature of reality, we needed a different perception of the curriculum. And here, if we need to have a different perception of curriculum, we have to build in something which is unknown, which we don't know yet, which is coming to know, both for us and for students. So in here, we are in need of each other. That's what I would say. But what are your thoughts, actually? When we talk about a student-led collaborative curriculum design, it's not like it's either or, it's collaborative in nature. That means there's no hierarchical system. So that means together, students, teachers, staff, profession, society, they form a community. So they have equal goals and different roles. But that means also we have to create a landscape in which there's place for everybody. Some of them are already existing in this landscape, but at the same time, it's a process of moving forward. But if we now create a landscape of a curriculum, which is possible in every sense that I have seen, there are some parts that I believe can be quite interesting and helpful. 
The first of it is a socialization through togetherness. As we have seen also from the study from Gloria de Alba, we worked upon before with her, it's the ambiguities of becoming. One of them is that you have to become an individual with others. That means also that as a physiotherapist, you're not on your own. You're part of a bigger profession, the physiotherapist. At the same time, you're also part of the community of health professions. And also you are part of community as such, of society. So that means also that into this socialization process is not something that you do on yourself. So you do it with others. So you have to meet. And in this socialization process, it's quite important not only to do the comfortable parts, but also come into the bumping into each other. Maybe even having some conflicts. Experience some panic, how to deal with people. But those are the real life situations. So I believe it's quite important that students and teachers together don't try to make it comfortable and safe and everything. It's safe, but also brave. There has to be a place where people can meet each other, can find some constraints, can have a little bit of irritation, so you have time to work it out with each other. Because that's also what we do in physiotherapy. We are not always agreeing on what we think and what we do. There can be even more truth at the same time. Because we see things from different contexts and different situations. I think here it's quite important that we start working upon it. And actually having to deal with it is quite important. So that's the socialization through togetherness. Now it's my question. Can you think, I, th I believe that most of us do it already. We create the socialization processes with each other. But is it possible that we are involved as well as teachers? Or is it culturally more important to leave the teachers out, that we have different roles? And also, how do we deal with the conflict between these roles? Teachers, students, but also at the same time being colleagues. Is there a kind of a division? Is there a, a rite of passage? Is that important? So how do we look upon it in different situations? There's not so, there, here is not a one-size-fits-all answer, I believe. But we have to look upon the culture of our profession, the culture of the ways of working in a country, in a university. How can we deal with the different roles? And what kind of conflicts are there? Sometimes it's easier to understand, first of all, the questions that arise before we come up with the answers. At the same time, we have to build it together because in togetherness there is a kind of a interdependence here. But what are your thoughts about it? An important element to my experience in creating a learning landscape in which people can develop and keep on developing is the freedom to choose. We all need this ownership that we can choose our own ways. Although with constraints, it's not like everything is possible, but at the same time, creating possibilities, we need to have a kind of a freedom. My experience of myself in educational settings, there's a lot of time there was not that much freedom. There was a lot of application. It's also a kind of importance of discipline and being forced to apply towards rules. But at the same time, those are implicit elements of education. Is that really what we want to have? For my, that answer is no. That's not the intended outcome that I was searching for. I'm searching more for people who dare to take possibilities, look upon the context and have this sense of ownership and dare to make choices. Because I think to make choices is possible and not only to hide behind rules, but actually to step into it. That also means that to prepare 
upcoming physiotherapist, we need to create a sense of choice to them. So they have a choice-based curriculum. So they have choice-based learning. That they can learning based on their own choices. And also have the responsibility of the possibility to see their own misjudgments, which we all have. I still make misjudgments all the time, but then I can learn from it. So you take not that much risk. It's all, all the time is processes based. But when you have the freedom to choose, you can go and enter the process. And when you enter this process of learning, you can evaluate, reflect, uh, add, change, modify. But that means constantly you choose, you make a decision, you make the next step. Also, by not making a decision, you make a choice to not make a decision. So whatever you do, you make these choices. But we can make sometimes be more explicit in it and create also different options and different pathways. So now it's my question. When you have, for example, you have your own course or your whole program, can you think of ways that students can create their own way? Is it possible for them to have their own say? And that they, for example, based on a learning outcome, they make a division from the pre-scheduled path and do something else which help their learning better? Or is it really scheduled and that they have to follow? Or am I now too black and white? How do you look upon the freedom to choose? And is it important for you in the way of learning and teaching or not at all? Or do you have more different ways of outcomes actually in your mind when you construct a process? In a lot of ways, it might be interesting to not only look at the past, but also into the future. Because constantly as we're moving forward, we're coming in an area we haven't been yet. And that is actually the next time if the next second or the next hour. So that's the future. One thing that we know for sure from the future, that it hasn't been here yet, and that it in itself is uncertain. Of course, we can try to predict some things, but actually most of the things concerning the future, it is about imagination. We know probably all of us, we have get familiar with futures literacy, future studies, futuring, which is quite of important and that we start building more scenarios. Instead of saying this is the future we're going into, we know there are several scenarios, more likely than others. Also during, for example, the COVID times, we were confronted by strange scenarios that we haven't thought about and also with education. At the same time, it showed also that there was an ability to respond to it. So we managed to cope with uncertainty. At the same time, I believe that in the education that I've had and I come up with, there are lots of times that we try to make certainty and factual parts as the basic element. But will it help future professionals to cope with uncertainty and to cope with the difficulties there? Because if, for example, a competence is not only competence in the known world, but actually in unfamiliar situation, do we, need, do we not have the obligation to help future professionals to learn to cope with uncertainty? Of course, in here you can take different directions. I would propose a quite radical one and actually to build on the curriculum it's uncertainty as a base that we don't know and that we can just coming to know in the different situations, which means that it gives more freedom. But there can be a thousand ways of dealing with uncertainty. How do you deal with uncertainty and how do you help yourself and future colleagues to deal with uncertainty? We talked about in the beginning some parts about Machtelt Huber, a doctor in the Netherlands who described health as a different part. 
One of the most important parts for her way of looking at help was the ability to adapt and to self-manage. But how able are we to adapt? How much do we foster our ability for adaptation? In itself, I believe physiotherapy has a lot to do with adaptation and also seeing new ways to adapt. It is somewhere connected to motor learning, especially in the ecological model or the ways of looking from Shumway Cook and the dynamic system theory. How do we look upon those kind of things? Because that means that there's a constant adaptation process based on environmental circumstances and different circumstances that work upon us. But can we actually be stronger in ways of dealing with it? How we help our patients to embrace their and to strengthen their ability to adapt. Can we also do that in education? Because the moment we can have an educational system which is not only explicit by telling and reading, but also by showing that us constantly ask for an ability to adapt, that means that we have to build in uncertainty or that we have to create new ways or constraints or that there's some challenges in the system. When we can do it in that way, it will help probably quite a lot for students. Here's the case for me, for my question. What are the ways that we help uh, future colleagues to embrace and strengthen their ability to adapt? I want to wrap up this podcast by just seeing a little bit of kind of a summary for what we have been talking to. I believe there's a lot of questions that we kind of posed here and there's a lot of reflections on what it means to be a teacher, to be a physiotherapist, what it means to become a physiotherapist, how this process of becoming might be evolving or building in a way. In this sense, it is important, I believe, to have the story of all the actors involved. So not only the teachers and society, but also the students as learners. Because actually both teachers, staff and students are learners in this system and are on an ongoing process of become otherwise or become that we are not yet. So this is a kind of continuous professional development connected lifelong learning. So it would be interesting to see if you agree with me that student-led curriculum design is actually the way forward in a way that we can st- and strengthen students' own development and that we collaborate in the same way as that we collaborate with our patients in a kind of patient-centeredness or person-centeredness. In this way, there's a bright future ahead of us, which we don't know yet, but at least together we will come into challenges. These challenges uh, will occur constantly, But it means also that, as the students were saying, we might have to create a more critical, emancipated form of learning. Ways in which we help each other to navigate through different zones from comfort to panic. And how we can get in and get out of it. Because those kind of things will happen anyway. We did some experiments with it, both at uh, Han University of Applied Science in Nijmegen, the physiotherapy program, but also now working on the medical program, the Bachelor of Medicine at Maastricht University. So at different places, these kind of happenings stay, take place. Also currently in Bergen, Norway, at the physiotherapy program, we start working together with the students to see what they can and what their wishes are. Where do they need, do they need this facilitation of learning? And at the same time also the question, where do we need, as teachers, staff, facilitation of learning and challenges? So the moment we get into these conversations, these dialogues between each other, to see how we can build up the future of our profession. Because staying still is not an option. We have to go forward into the future, which we only can imagine. But let it then imagine together. I thank you so much for 
listening so far to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it's challenging. It's also challenging for me. And as always, also a little bit nervous to what it means. I'm looking forward to future conversations concerning this topic. And I'm really happy to collaborate with all of us. And let's see that we create a network out of it. I wish you a wonderful day and hope to see you soon.